Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of self-harm. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. You're taking a picturesque drive through the woods. The vibrant maple trees stand out against the dull black of the road. Something darts from trunk to trunk, too fast for you to make it out. You park to get a better look at the scenery, perhaps see a deer or two. The woods are still again, but for the soothing rustle of the beautiful autumn leaves. A hatchet crashes into your window, pulls away, then crashes in with renewed savagery. Through the spiderwebbed glass, you see your wild-eyed attacker. It's the Easter Bunny. Welcome to Haunted Places, a podcast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, we take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth and share their stories. This episode is part of our Urban Legends Halloween special. Every day for the month of October, we're presenting our spooky spin on an urban legend, then diving into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Today, we examine a different kind of car tale. Rather than the standard killer on the loose, the bunny man is both memorable and murderous. He's known for his bunny costume and the rabbit corpses he leaves in his wake. The Bunny Man is rooted in a set of real-life incidents that occurred in Burke, Virginia in 1970. A first-year Air Force cadet reported that he and his fiancée were attacked by a man in a white bunny costume while in their parked car. Less than two weeks later, a security guard at a Burke construction site discovered the so-called Bunny Man chopping at the beams of the front porch of a new house. When the guard headed back to his car to get his gun, the bunny man ran off into the woods. By 1973, the legend had evolved to include a variety of murder weapons and tactics, as well as a familiar backstory, a patient escape from a hospital for the criminally insane. The sole constant of the legend is a man wielding a hatchet at strangers and a motif of bunnies, either in the form of the attacker's costume or in the flayed corpses of the rabbits he leaves behind. Many of the reports center on a junction of highway and railroad known as the Colchester Overpass. The area has become so closely tied with the legend that it is now known as the Bunny Man Bridge.
Aaron had only been on the job for a handful of days when he found out that the mental hospital was being shut down. The citizens of Fairfax County just didn't want an asylum in their backyards. He didn't want to go through the hassle of looking for another job. There were no jobs to be found, truly, despite President Truman's claim that the war in Korea would halt the Reds and strengthen the economy. Aaron's co-worker told him not to worry. The patients would be moved to the local prison, and the hospital's guards could move with them. Neither they nor the new inmates would know the difference. Aaron had heard stories about the prison. Warfare between the guards and the prisoners was supposed to be commonplace, as were makeshift weapons and mysterious injuries. Aaron was just trying to make a living. He didn't want to be involved in all that. But he was stuck. The whole country was in recession, and Fairfax County, in particular, seemed to be losing employment opportunities by the second. He could take the job at the prison, or he could go back to looking for work while his stomach rumbled and his house remained in an eternal state of darkness. He didn't even have money to buy candles right now. Aaron didn't know if the prison could find a way to be worse than the hospital. There were already eight patients to a room that was meant for three. No sunlight and no clean waterways left both the people and the cells looking dingy. Fecal matter smeared the walls. Rats skittered across the floor, licking up stray drops of broth that had splattered from the patients' dinners the night before. The patients were always packed together like sardines in a dented and dingy can. None of them were able to move well in the restrictive clothes that were part of their treatment plans. The doctor claimed it was for the best, but Aaron always wondered if that was actually the case. On the day of the move, Aaron and the other guards went from cell to cell, gathering the patients into the hallway. The patients muttered to themselves, but were mostly compliant. Most had the glazed look of men who had been given far too much to drink. One stumbled, struggling with the chains between his legs, Doug Griffin. He was young, but large, a giant, asleep on his feet. Aaron helped him up. He asked if Doug was okay, but the patient just stared at him vacantly. Aaron often wondered what Doug would say if he could. He always seemed to be holding something back. The rest of the patients were already moving in a haphazard line down the block with everyone else. But Doug didn't move. He didn't blink. Aaron tried to smile at him, but the flatness in Doug's face unnerved him. It was like looking at a statue. Doug raised his chained hands slowly, as if for a hug. Aaron wasn't supposed to hug the patients. He heard his boss farther down the room telling him to hurry things up. Aaron took a step closer to Doug, hoping to move him along. Doug lunged. His hands closed tightly around Aaron's throat. Aaron's own hands pulled at Doug's chains, trying to get him to loosen his grip but the man only squeezed harder. Aaron could hear that help was coming for him, but he was having trouble holding on. He was straining to breathe, his arms growing heavy. Without any air, he just didn't have the strength to keep fighting. Doug didn't blink. Doug didn't smile. Doug just squeezed until Aaron couldn't feel anything at all. 
A few minutes later, Aaron's boss jostled him awake. Doug was gone, hopefully medicated, hopefully calm. Aaron told himself that meltdowns just happen sometimes. It was part of the job. He hadn't done anything wrong, and Doug was sick and likely scared. It was a lot of change all at once. Aaron's boss didn't have time to check in on him again, and going home wasn't an option. They couldn't afford to be a man down on a day like today. The passengers were all loaded up. It was time to go. Two of the other guards helped Aaron to the bus. Aaron took a seat, but he couldn't keep himself from looking for Doug. He wanted to meet his eyes, to show that he forgave him and just wanted him to be safe. But Doug didn't seem upset. He didn't even seem sedated. He was still smiling, calm but alert, like he was waiting for something. Aaron told himself he was being ridiculous and turned away. He looked out the window to his left, studying the flame-like leaves that lined the driveway. The bus took off, careening down dirt roads, trying to make up time. Most of the passengers turned their heads to look out the windows. Others stared vacantly at their laps, muttering to themselves. The guards chatted idly. No one was prepared for the bus to stop. Aaron hit his head against the window as the bus jerked and bucked before landing squarely in a stop. Aaron inspected the passenger window. A small crack bloomed on the glass. Several of the guards left their seats to check what was happening. A herd of deer were blocking the path. Aaron wiped the small trickle of blood from his face and headed outside. He helped some of the other guards move the deer out of the way, carefully shepherding them into the waiting woods. When he stepped back onto the bus, his eyes immediately darted to Doug again. The man's head was barely peeking out over the seat. Aaron casually walked close enough to pass him by. He was drawing bunnies in the condensation on the bus window. Aaron sunk back into his seat, willing himself to keep his eyes on the scenery, hoping to forget Doug's serene but toothy smile. The bus started up again slowly, rocking gently against the small rocks that littered the road. Two cars overflowing with teenagers raced alongside the bus. Kids jutted their hands and arms out the window, screaming and banging against the sides of the vehicle. A tension spread slowly through the patients as they realized they were surrounded. Aaron gripped the seat. He could feel the frustration and anxiety spread through the bus. In a confined space like this, one meltdown could turn into a cascade of screaming, crying, and hitting from all sides. The teens were yelling at the bus driver, trying to goad him into a race. He wasn't taking the bait, but that didn't stop the teenagers from banging on the side of the bus louder and louder. One of the patients started to yell, banging their hands against the window. There were no towels to put against the glass for their protection. One of the guards tried to make their way over, but some patients were standing now, blocking their path. The window shattered, raining sharp shards down on the patient and his neighbors. Some began to whimper. Others joined in on the yelling and the banging. Those who had no window against their seat 
decided to use the other inmates for the same purpose. Guards tried to pull the patients away from each other, but they were outnumbered four to one. Aaron stood up, moving towards the front of the bus. The driver was screaming for people to brace themselves. He only half heard the warning. The next minute, Aaron found himself flying through the air. Aaron's vision swam as he woke. It returned in flashes, cracked glass, cries of anguish. He nearly screamed as he forced himself to turn his body back towards the bus. There was a massive hole in the vehicle's windshield, one slightly larger than his body. He touched his bloody head, scraping broken glass from his hair. Other men, patients and guards alike, scattered the ground around him. Some were groaning, struggling. Too many were still. A small, pale shape caught his eye. A little white rabbit dashing deep into the red-orange woods. Doug was following it, his gait growing wider and wider as he picked up speed. Aaron struggled to lift his body from the ground, but it seemed to spin beneath him, sucking him down. He tried to croak out a warning, to call for help. Doug turned around, smiling. He waved. Then he disappeared into the dark woods, leaving Aaron broken and bloody on the forest floor. Coming up, Doug is only a hop, skip, and a jump away. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Aaron was in the hospital for weeks. He had several broken bones and risked internal bleeding. Being thrown from the bus as it crashed exacerbated the damage Doug's attack had done to his trachea. It hurt to breathe. It hurt to think. The autumn leaves out his window frightened him. He had to turn his head away to keep himself from searching the undergrowth for the mysterious white rabbit he'd seen just before he'd lost consciousness. He could still imagine Doug chasing it into the dark woods. A broad smile spread across his face. The guards had searched the woods for weeks, yet they found no sign of him. He had vanished, like he was just a shared delusion, a collective hallucination shared within the walls of a now-abandoned asylum. As Aaron finally began to heal, the shortness of breath and slowly fading bruises were the only reminder that Doug Griffin had existed at all. Decades passed, but Doug still loped through the landscape of Aaron's mind. He would see him in line at the grocery store, staring at Aaron with those vacant eyes and serene smile, hiding something Aaron didn't want to contemplate. Sometimes, Aaron thought he saw Doug in the park, playing with a child, reaching up to close his hands around the little boy's neck. Sometimes, 
Doug sat next to Aaron on the bus, drawing bunnies on the window. At night, Aaron would wake up because he couldn't breathe, feeling Doug's hands pressing against his windpipe. Aaron never told his wife about the attack before the bus crash, or how he wondered every day if he had caused it. Would the lack of delay in leaving have kept them ahead of the teenagers? Would it have all been avoidable if he had just understood Doug's toothy smile? Aaron took a different route through town now, never passing by those dreaded woods. He hoped if he avoided everything that reminded him of that day, he could pretend it hadn't happened. He could pretend that his suspicions about Doug were wrong. The trees were thicker in his imagination, an undulating sea of red, orange, and yellow, meant to disorient and hide things from the human eye. The tree the bus had crashed into was no longer 12 feet in his head, but a hundred. It was thick and wide, roots eating away at any attempt to build a road in the area. Aaron couldn't stand the sight of trees anymore. Doug's specter was always looming behind them. He'd long ago cut down all the trees around his property, then removed the stumps. He just wanted all of it, every moment of that horrible day, to disappear. But his daughter, Marie, she loved horticulture. She'd purchased a lot down the street, littered with trees, and added a few of her own. He hated coming over to visit, seeing his past stare out at him from her yard. But it was a necessary evil, now that he was too old to drive. Marie was gripping the wheel too tightly when Aaron got into the car. Her brow was furrowed, and the barest tint of tongue was poking out between her lips. She looked like his little girl again, not the grown woman she was. He asked what was wrong, but she just shook her head. He nodded, giving her space. But he didn't like the way she kept glancing around her surroundings as she pulled out of the driveway and onto the road. Her darting eyes and shortness of breath reminded him too much of himself. He tried to turn on the radio, but she covered his hand. Marie said she didn't want to lose her concentration, but she'd driven him to the doctor hundreds of times before. They'd always listen to the radio together. Aaron asked her what was wrong again. She told him that she was just struggling to wrap her head around some news story. It wasn't a big deal. They turned away from the highway, heading for a service road surrounded by trees. This wasn't their normal route. Marie told him that there had been an accident the night before on the on-ramp. It would be quicker to take the back way. Besides, the leaves were beautiful this time of year. He tensed. Aaron had avoided areas like this for years, taking the route that would land him on the highway, far away from nature each time. He knew that the trees weren't moving or changing in any way, but in his mind, they were always reaching, a swiftly encroaching fire threatening to eat the road. They wanted to pull him into their underbrush, tangle him in their branches, and leave him there for Doug to finish off as he had tried to do so many years ago. Something was moving through the woods alongside them. 
Aaron caught flashes of something large and pale sprinting through the trees, as though it was racing them. Aaron checked to make sure the locks were secured. Time was starting to slip from his grasp. He could feel the bumps in the road like he was back on that old bus and not in a new car. Sweat dripped into his eyes. He clutched his seatbelt tightly as the past began to overwhelm the present. A massive thump snapped him back. There was a cry of distress, then a roll. Marie slowed to a stop. She stayed in her seat, eyes unfocused and lip pulled between her teeth. Her eyes were glistening with a sheen of tears just about to fall. Aaron reached out to her. Her skin was clammy. She asked if he would check what was outside. He nodded his head slowly. His own fears would have to wait. His child needed him right now. He would not let her down. There was blood splattered across the front of the car in both streaks and sprays. Aaron wanted to feel horror or sadness, but instead he was relieved. Whatever had been in the woods racing towards them was gone. He'd been running from this for years, and now he could stop. He'd faced his fears. He headed around to the back of the vehicle. A deer was lying in the middle of the road. Its torso was still rising, just barely. His heart clenched as he watched the animal struggle to breathe. He wondered if there was some way to save it. Perhaps they could call animal control. There was something wrapped around the deer's neck, a sandy gray against the red-brown of the noble creature's fur. Aaron knelt down next to the animal to get a closer look, and circled around his neck was a string littered with small, soft corpses. Some were gray, some were brown, but one at the very center of the macabre necklace was white. Bunnies, as Marie used to cry when she saw them in the fields and forests, before Aaron had fled from nature entirely. Their intestines hung limply on the asphalt, pulled out of their tiny bodies, and left for decoration, like wet red tassels. Aaron didn't understand. He lifted his eyes to the forest. More slaughtered rabbits hung from the trees like party decorations. Little bunnies with their guts turned inside out, neatly spaced along a line of string. The deer must have gotten tangled in them while racing through the woods. Marie called out into the woods at a shape Aaron couldn't identify. Aaron squinted, searching the trees. Then he saw him. In his dreams, the man had never aged. Now, even though wrinkles had pulled through his skin and he wore the gauntness of someone who didn't eat much, the eyes were the same. Doug was here. His hands were impossibly wide, just as they had been decades ago, and they were clutching a large hatchet. Doug turned his head, shifting his focus from Marie to Aaron. Aaron realized he had no idea what Doug was about to do, what he wanted to do, or what he actually wanted. His mind was a mystery Aaron had never been equipped to solve. 
Doug smiled his serene smile and raised his hand over his head. Then he charged. The first printed mentions of the Bunny Man come from the Washington Post in 1970, when two different witnesses encountered a man in a bunny suit wielding a hatchet. By 1973, a student at the University of Maryland, Patricia Johnson, had interviewed over 30 students on campus and found 54 different stories about the Bunny Man. Some said he wore the bunny suit. Others said he strung up mutilated rabbits after eating them raw. Some said he lured small children to their deaths. Others said that he was pursued to the Colchester Overpass, where Colchester Road meets the Southern Railway. Instead of running through the tight one-lane tunnel, he climbed upwards and through the trees, only to be struck by a train. The most well-known version of the Bunny Man mythos was posted on the internet in the late 1990s by a user going by the name Timothy C. Forbes. He claims that a bus crash in 1904 led to one particular asylum patient, Doug Griffin, escaping into the woods. The bus was transferring patients from an asylum to Lorton Prison in Fairfax County, Virginia. The Post names several murder victims and encourages the reader to go to the Clifton Town Library to verify the story for themselves. This version captured the imagination of the internet and eventually the national news. Fairfax, Virginia historian archivist Brian Conley, however, is quick to point out several errors in the story. Lorton Prison wasn't built until 1910. Fairfax County has never had an asylum or mental health facility of any kind. Clifton has never had a town library, and there are no official records of Douglas Griffin ever having existed within the bounds of Fairfax County. We've all heard a tale of a local asylum inmate running around in the woods, and what better way to cover your tracks than mention that all of the information is easily accessible in a library that no one can access. The murderous, mentally ill escapee is a frequent motif of both urban legends and the horror genre overall, but it fails to reflect the reality that people with mental illness are far more likely to be a victim of violent crime than the perpetrator. As cited in Violence and Mental Illness and Overview, the MacArthur Violence Risk Assessment Study found that the prevalence of violence among those with a major mental disorder who did not abuse substances was indistinguishable from their non-substance abusing neighborhood controls. Delusions were not associated with violence. Even threat control override delusions that cause an individual to think that someone is out to harm them or that someone can control their thoughts. Conley hypothesizes that the real Bunny Man was probably a white man in his early 20s who was upset at the rapid development of Fairfax County. The area, which was once just farmland, started to rise as a housing subdivision post-World War II and continued well into the 70s. The Bunny Man may have been trying to stall out development projects or discourage people from moving into the area. And while Timothy C. Forbes' account is easily disproved, his post likely informed the imagery of 2001's Donnie Darko, 
in which a Virginia teenager is haunted by a vision of a tall man in a gray bunny costume and a hideous, almost metallic mask with cloudy white eyes who encourages him to harm himself and others. At the crisis point of Donnie Darko, the troubled title character asks his rabbit hallucination, why do you wear that stupid bunny suit? Why are you wearing that stupid man suit? The rabbit replies. The legend of the bunny man distills a quirky but ultimately harmless footnote in the history of gentrification. It's straight out of Scooby-Doo to its strangest elements, a bunny costume and a hatchet. Then it adds a healthy dose of mental illness stigma and finishes with a near universal sensation, the fear of being alone on a country road, at the mercy of whatever lurks in the forests of Virginia or of our minds, whether it's all dressed up for Easter or not. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend and on Thursday with a new haunted place. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify's making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. Until tomorrow... Don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Kenny Hobbs, production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Rache. I'm Greg Polson.